Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hi, everybody. Welcome to That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm Heather Burnt-Santi, and um, here also is Lisa Murphy. Hello, nice to see you. Yay, nice to see you. I um, I'm I'm keenly aware of when people watch this, uh, the video version of this one, they're going to see my dead sleepy eyes and be like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" You could do that I'm, little guy. You I'm could- just sleepy. <laughs> cover my eyes that little black band like we used <laughs> yeah. to say yeah I need sunglasses I guess um okay so Lisa and I are going to talk about um uh some photos that I found on just on social media that were being shared of um uh infants and um the caption for the for the post was like learning begins in the infant room or learning begins with babies or something like that um and then it was like it looked like babies who could sit on their own um but but babies yeah <laughs> in their little wooden uh child care supply catalog chairs at the little wooden table and one was in a high chair maybe yeah one was in a high chair the rest were in that little that bucket table the bucket it. table that's what it was <laughs> yes the bucket table um and they had, a baby. yeah so it was like a group activity for babies and right. it was construction paper each child had their own construction paper and um they were either gluing numbers or matching it was a caterpillar it was a it was caterpillar a, image with, with numbers on the circles to make up the caterpillar body yeah, yes. it burnt itself in my yes. brain I will never yeah understand. i thought it wasn't mine too but clearly <laughs> now that i'm talking about it it wasn't anyway um it was it was obviously intended to be sort of promotional for the math learning that happens even with babies at this, at this, um, program. So, um, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and do a quote cause that's what we do. We've only ever done two episodes without a quote. <laughs> so, was I involved in those two? <laughs> um, I don't, one, well, one was a text from you instead of a oh, quote. I know. That's and then, still a quote. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so here, this is from uh, Learning Together with Young Children by uh, Margie Carter and Deb Curtis. And they say, um, uh, let me say this first, that you're going to use the phrase teaching strategies. It's a, in this context, it's a generic, not referring to the brand teaching strategies. So this is just a generic idea of strategies that we might use. Um, so here's what they say. We believe that teaching strategies should flow conscious from a consciously defined belief system, not a set of regulations, a series of activity books, or a bag of tricks. Your curriculum and teaching behaviors reflect a set of assumptions about your view of children and your role as a teacher. Um, so when I, when I read this, I was thinking in terms of that, those photos of those babies, um, 
I suppose the, the adults who planned that could say, um, this is from my belief system. I believe that um, uh, learning starts with babies and it's never too early. And, um, uh, you know, so much brain development's happening now. We've got to do all these academic things with them. Um, but what, what, what they were really doing is sort of that teacher bag of tricks that, um, that they're referring to here. And the, the view that infants are empty and I am, uh, fill them up. I have to fill them up. And my role as a teacher is to fix, even at this very early age, this math deficit <laughs> and get them ready for this thing that I think might be happening, you know, in five years when they go to school. Um, although, you know, we know too, that, uh, that kind of skill and drill math stuff is not what gets them most ready for school. Exactly. So, so anyway, I just, that was so interesting to me when I saw the picture, um, I mean, if I want to be harsh, it was disrespectful to babies, well, but also that's, that's kind of where I was yeah. locked and loading it. And, and I think I've become, especially with, with social media to some degree, such a cynic that I just assume everything's like a spoof. Like I, I, I like to err on the side that it's like a, an onion, yeah. the onion post yeah. and, and that it's all tongue in cheek and, and they're, they're being, um, you know, comical about mm -hmm. it. And, and then you realize that it's not. And, and I think that's just what allows me to, to sleep at night without crying myself <laughs> to sleep is, oh my God, they, they are doing this on purpose. Um, and, and to some degree, probably even doing it with intention. Like, I think if I right. even asked my three questions, they would honestly have a response for it mm -hmm. um, that, that goes beyond, you know, like, oh, it's so cute. Like, oh, this yeah. is math. And like, they're, they're speaking from a place that they feel is informing mm -hmm. their work and it's just mis, misguided, right? You know, the yeah. intention is there, but when you, and, and I love how you frequently will bring it back to the developmental piece, right? When we bring it back to what we know about how infants are learning and what infants need in order to be on a positive developmental trajectory, mm -hmm. it's not that. Right. And, you know, un unless you're kind of at a place where you're open for that kind of feedback, that can be really tricky to get somebody to change lanes, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that what you've been doing is bad. I'm saying that it's a very, very kind of crude initial baseline. And now it's time to start adding to your practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, this goes to what we often talk about, you know, that before, you know, better, this is right. what we do. I, um, I, by the time I worked with infants, I had, um, you knew better, I knew better, but yeah. my first experiences were really with two-year-olds and I absolutely did things that looked like school, um, until I found something to read that, you know, explained that two-year-olds don't necessarily need or learn from those kinds of things. So I, I know that it does probably come from a place of, um, uh, you know, my job is to teach and, um, uh, so, you know, caterpillars are fun. So this will be a fun way of teaching math. Um, and for me, math is numbers and, um, and being able to recognize numbers. So, so there is some learning that needs to happen to, to, before you can even move out of that, I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I, I know I was being harsh and probably will be again, um, because I just see too much of this from people who should know better, I guess. So I, so I, I want to make that I distinction. Agree. There are, there are those folks who just haven't been, 
presented with a different idea or haven't had the opportunity or no one has taught them or, or introduced them or showed them. At least you hope that, right. You give them the benefit of the doubt. Right. um, And not like that. They do know better. And they're like, well, screw you. I like to do caterpillars with my babies. Exactly. Yeah. Or this is what the parents want. This mm-hmm. is what parents want. They want to see learning. Um, I still think it always comes back to the values, though, regardless yeah. of, you know, what do you believe in? And and that's that Tom Bedard quote that I've been just tossing around for like two years now. But mm-hmm. until we've identified what we believe in, it's it's you can't reflect on your practice. Right. So. Mm-hmm. And and when you've got, you know, potentially four people working in the room together with the, all the babies and you might have four different set of of values and you have all those interpersonal dynamics mm-hmm. and the invisible hierarchy and the culture of the school. <laughs> I mean, there's so many yes. variables yeah. that, that come into play that unless the owner slash director or management team has a really crystal clear vision on what you and I would call best practice, mm-hmm. you're going to have 15 different, you know, roads being driven. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know. And, and you, 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 it's, what did you say? Harsh was your word. No. I, like, like I can understand that kind of activity, quote unquote, in maybe toddler and preschool, pre-K, but I don't know, man, there's just something about, weren't the babies always supposed to be exempt from, you know, all <laughs> know. of that nonsense, you know? Um, Not anymore. I guess there's like, these, it's two extremes. Babies can't do anything or babies are ready for preschool. For algebra, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Where's that? Where's that middle ground? And I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just see, I just see those infant years as being so crucial mm-hmm. um, that, you know, if we're going to start slipping and sliding and, and deviating from best practice, I don't know. And I'm probably going to regret saying this, but I'd rather see that happen in pre-K, you know, maybe <laughs> after a, a, a rock solid attachment based relationship based sure. early childhood or infant experience yeah well and just and- what we all know about birth to 3 is just so crucial relationship and connection yeah. and and attachment wise i just i just see those kinds of external things as missed opportunities yes yeah that's what i was going to say um if we go back to the good intention um that's great but um uh you're, you're, I don't know how to say this. That doesn't sound like the grouchy person that I am in this moment, but, um, they're just, it's, it could be so much bigger and better and more, even more satisfying as a teacher. Um, if we were better in our practice, in our field at connecting theory to what we're actually doing and, and feeling like, uh, well, I mean, and you have to know the theory first, but even our instincts, I think, with babies are more towards caring caring yes yeah and and we 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 push it down and we feel like if I'm a teacher it has to be more than just this caring and um in my mind teaching looks like everybody doing the same thing at the same time and um and and there has to be either a number or a letter involved (laughs) and then I'm a teacher Yeah, uh, I it's 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 sad for the babies and for the teachers, I think. Um, Yeah, I think I think the thing that's coming up for me too, listening to you talk is not only the caring piece, right, that that yet another false dichotomy that it's either mm -hmm. teaching or caring or or, 
and ne'er the two shall cross. And we know that that's not true, but also that's feeling like, especially in an infant room, it comes up a lot in the mixed age workshop, which I'm actually doing today um, online. So I'm, I'm like kind of thinking uh -huh. of that is through the pandemic, a lot of people were sharing that the programs were considering going to mixed ages just because of the pandemic, right? And right. keeping siblings together and cohorts and smaller groups and blah, mm -hmm. blah, 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 blah. And one of the things that people found the strength and courage to say was that they felt that, no, not felt, they did not realize that they had associated a mixed age mindset with babysitting. And oh. there was a feeling that by going to a mixed age setting, I was actually, you know, taking a hit and going down a rung in that ladder mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. of, of somehow, somehow being demoted within a profession that already isn't seen <laughs> as valuable. Right. And now you're going to add this other layer to it. And I think sometimes, especially in infants, especially an infant program where it is like six weeks to maybe, you know, a year or a year and a half together, you know, it is kind of an organic mixed age setting that that perhaps people just don't feel like the caring piece is enough, right? Mm -hmm. It has to be something more in order to be perceived as value. And then we find ourselves often maybe like second guessing what we know we need to be doing in order to appease somebody who has no idea what the hell is going on or what best practice looks like. And, and I just see this horrific, vicious cycle of, mm -hmm. of people who, who potentially know better just on this fast track treadmill of, of keeping other people happy and, and meeting their perceived expectations that are misguided in the first mm -hmm. place, if that makes sense. <clears throat> yeah. And I think sometimes the, the pressure of the expectation or what other people think or expect from us is a, it's, it's a, it's, it's a circle. Um, like those people not, might not even really be expecting that of us, but they, they think that's what we want to focus on. So that's what they do. And then we think that's, oh, that's what they want to focus on. And we just go around and around and around, and around, and around when and around. in, in reality, some of that pressure might not even really be there. It's some of those deep, expectations right? might not really even be there. Yeah. Um, pressures. Yeah. Not even real. <laughs> and I think um, too, if, if we want to talk specifically about this being an intended math activity, mm -hmm. um, there's some stuff to unpack there too, because um, well, so I think it was 2015, I wrote an article for exchange about teachers, math anxiety, like uh -huh, their, uh -huh. from their own lives coming in and interfering with doing appropriate math, um, or math, intentional math at all with young children. And, um, so we, we know that, uh, a lot of women don't feel, uh, like math was very welcoming to them in their own school baggage. experiences. Math baggage yes. ranging yeah. through the years. Sidebar: I've got, I've had people say they were straight up told by teachers, "You don't need to know how to do this. Just kind of you know go through it, like you know, yeah, you don't need to yeah. know how to do this. yeah." And that's, your husband you know, will balance the checkbook. So yeah, <laughs> I'm not saying that there's no woman who enjoys or is good at math, but just sort of generally speaking, we know that this is something that shows up, and most of the people working in our programs are women. So, so there's going to be that sort of confusion and anxiety. Of, about well, and it. let's be honest and I'm interrupting. Sorry. Well, no, I'm not, but that's yeah, what go you ahead. That's why I bring the catalogs, you <laughs> the catalogs reinforce that. Yeah. Right. There's a math section Yeah, and it looks like computing and counting. And, and we forget that such a huge piece of math is that 
that problem solving, right? That guesstimating that what's going to happen? How, how come my black tower keeps falling over, but hers does not, you mm-hmm. know, all of that. Well, all those, what if questions are right. also math and yeah. we, for, we, for, well, I don't even know if we forget sometimes. I think sometimes we don't even really don't even really know, yeah. you know, I mean, nobody in the world, nobody in early childhood needs any more teddy bear counters at all. Like stop buying that stuff because you don't need it. It's not, you know, well, shush. you go, right. <laughs> Say whatever you want about those little bears. Oh my gosh. I mean, I've oh, seen I- kids play with them, uh, but like burying them in Play-Doh or putting them in buses yeah. and things like that. I, I don't see a child spontaneously choosing counting bears and little mats to count them on or things like that and well so the other piece of that is we can have all that math stuff on the shelves but if we don't know why it's math if we don't know what it means right or how how then then it's going to be a really sort of just um it's on the shelf for the checklist my god things but people come in yes exactly (laughs) so so you talked about um, the problem solving piece. The two other things that I think that are really important, especially for infants, um, for math, one is just figuring out spaces, like how my body fits in space, what, um, where I can go. That That's such a foundation for math skills is where things fit and some things are too big or too small for the space they're in. So just letting babies explore the space is one of the biggest math foundational things you can do. Um, but also I, I've been thinking about, I think I read this initially in Jared Green's book about resilience and physical Uh play. Um, I think it's just called, I'm okay. Um, and he just sort of briefly refers to someone else's research and I'm sorry, I don't know their name, but I sure could find it. If anyone wanted me to get more message me, message me or comment, (laughs) um, that there was some, some study had had shown that there was a link between children engaging in risky play and being more confident about math and reading later because you do have to be able to feel like you can take a risk to be able to work out this math problem or to be able to um, answer a quizzy kind of question from your teacher you have to have an amount of confidence that you have taken a risk before Sometimes it goes okay. Sometimes it doesn't, but you're always okay. (laughs) And, and you try again and maybe it works better the next time. So uh, again, just that physical exploration and stick with itness, uh the persistence, the growth mindset, all of that. Yeah. Way more valuable for an infant than um, what a number looks like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So, um, well, I, 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 I'm thinking of that picture in my head again, mm-hmm. too. And one, I don't like all the containers, right? So, right. you know, well, there's be, being yes. in a container. I mean, that's the order, wrong kind of spatial exploration. That's the wrong kind I'm of stuck spatial, in the space. Right. I'm stuck in the seat <laughs> until you decide that I'm allowed to get out. Right. Yes, I yeah. surely didn't decide I wanted to sit in that bucket yeah. and, 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 and what glue um, they probably, mm-hmm. the teacher probably put some glue stick on the circle where it and was probably guided their hands to, yeah, to, to, those to put it on. Right. On or, or then undid it and then did it right you know after afterwards like that but but again if you're being guided by choice uh and and play and caring connections 
you know, you reach a point where you say, you know, that's compromising. That mm. kind of experience is compromising what I'm saying that is guiding my work. And, mm -hmm. and I, I just think at, at the clearer we get on being able to state what we believe in and then, and then think about what that looks like. I think the more we're able to take ownership of tightening up some of our, some of our practice too. Yeah, for sure. I, the other thing that struck me about the photo was that there were a couple of children, a couple of those babies, you could look at their faces and know that they did not want to be where they were. Um, and so responsive teaching comes into play there too. Like this is not doing it for this baby. Right. <laughs> the baby is crying <laughs> as you're putting them in the bucket seat. Yeah. Um, because, you know, and, and we forget or again, maybe not even real, realize, but, you know, you start putting some of those early associations with, you know, being sat at a table, mm -hmm. giving paperwork essentially to do. And if that's consistently reinforced that I don't want to be here and somebody obviously doesn't give two shits that yes. I don't want to be here, you know, yeah, and then we wonder why they don't want to come do anything <laughs> when they're in the pre-K room, because, mm -hmm. you know, essentially you, you kind of condition them to thinking that this is not a pleasant activity, right? Um, you know, and, and the only advantage you had in the infant room is that they're not mobile enough to, to get up and run away from you. And, and now they can. And so now again, we think we have a, a behavior problem. He's defiant and he's opposition. Yeah. Yeah. And really, he's just finally at a point of being able to say, this is nonsense and I'm not going to tolerate it anymore. And mm -hmm. now that my feet move and I have more agency, um, I'm out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. And agent agency, I think, is an important part of the conversation. Um, because and consent. I was going to say, because that leads to a conversation about consent. You know, if we're just picking babies up off the floor and putting them into the bucket table, um, and keeping them there until everybody is done. Uh, and, you know, I'm making assumptions based on a picture. Again, I don't know whose picture it was. If you're listening and you really did respond and take them out when they cried, that's great. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, but the, the snapshot of the place. moment that I saw, yeah, is that it shouldn't have been happening in the first place in that way. Um, and, and the message we send when we do things like that, and, and this happens with other ages too, when we just take them physically from one place to another, um, especially if they're crying or, or communicating a lack of consent and we do it anyway, we're again setting a pattern um, and for, for what kind of power they have over themselves, um, what kind of relationship you know, bigger means boss and, um, mm -hmm. all those things that can be really unhealthy for future relationships. When so much of what infants are learning is about how to be in a relationship with somebody else. So we have to be aware of that too. And, um, and yes, I know there are times when a child's running into traffic and you have to bodily pick them up and move them. <laughs> you can save those that things scenario, for the bare moments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right. Then it's a different and then, you know, where my brain also started going is that um, when you think about, and I hate the phrase, but I'm going to use it classroom management. So if yeah. in, if in an infant or toddler room, mm -hmm. if, if kids are kind of being containerized in order to like rotate through and change diapers, like, so this is like literally busy work so that I can stay on yeah. top of some of that other stuff instead of um, 
you know, having you explore the floor and find out what cubby hole you fit in and which cubby hole you do not fit in and, and all of that kind of organic exploration of the space. If I'm just making my job easier by keeping you in a bucket so I can get the transitions and the routines of the day, that that's probably a whole other conversation that mm -hmm. could stem out of that particular image that we looked at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just and and the just the conversation about containers and and putting babies in spaces that they can't get out of on their own. Um, if we really are talking about and wanting to be a teacher, and and I'm using that word now in this context to mean someone who supports the development of children and helps them develop skills, the physical skills are so much more important than than um, than the math drilling for an infant um that that freedom that they have to move um the physical impact it can have on their body their growth and their fine and gross motor development to be contained more often than they're not or too often or for um any reason other than maybe authentic safety concern right <laughs> um is the opposite of the things that you want to be as a teacher then, because, because that's a valid part of a child's learning and development contributes to all that future school stuff. You, we get so obsessed with this, um, even just the ability to sit in a chair and write something can, can be impacted by how much, how much physical freedom they had as an infant to develop, uh, their bodies and their muscles, their skills, their growth. Um, so, so putting them in a container to do, um, an activity that you think is educational actually might be working against all of those goals that you've got. And, um, and we just need to be able to recognize that and talk about it. So if it is challenged, we can say, well, here's why we don't put them all in a bucket table right. and do the same thing at the same time. Um, and, and, and here's, you know, if you are concerned about math, here's what we do 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 here's what we do um to to get them ready for for math concepts or you know it's we just have to be able to be doing what we know is important and and appropriate for the age and development of the child that's in front of us not our our image of what people expect or our um sort of persona of a teacher that we want to have for ourselves. And I, I, and I'm thinking of three things I want to say for listeners who might be like, Oh, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So Angela Hanscom is kind of my go-to resource, more of a more go-to. Um, and on my website on ooigooey.com, you can actually watch her seven minute Ted talk on how she talks about the fact that, you know, at some point it's, it's 100% acceptable to expect kids to be able to sit in pay attention to something, but in order to, in order to be able to have that eventual goal, they need to spend all these early years moving mm -hmm. their bodies. So Angela Hanscom is a very timely resource um, for that. And also, um, I don't know what her modern work has been, but 
uh, Carla Hannaford, her book oh. that I read like way back in the early nineties. She smart, smart moves. moves. Okay. Smart yeah. moves. Why yeah. learning is not all in your head. Um, and she had some, and granted it's going to be a little dated, but she had some really interesting anecdotes about even the children, some of the children she had worked with in Hawaii who had been labeled ADD and ADHD. And literally all she, I don't want to say all she did. I know I'm not undermining her. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> she increased the amount of water that these children were taking and increased the amount of movement that their body had. And they're like, Oh, well, look at that. They're mad magically not ADHD <laughs> anymore. Well, huh, imagine that maybe yeah. they never were yeah. in, in the first place. And, and it can be tricky sometimes to realize that some of those very quick, spontaneous decisions that we're making between birth and age two have mm -hmm. the potential to super impact the, them, the, the rest of their life. Um, and, and I also wanted to acknowledge that, um, that sometimes people come to the infant room from other age groups yes. and uh -huh. didn't get like a nice boot camp yeah. <laughs> or detox or whatever you want to call it on how working with young babies is not watered down mm -hmm. kindergarten. Right. You know, and, and that's a true statement for any early childhood, but especially if the only yeah. tools in your tool belt were kind of more of those teachery and now you're with babies you there is no shame and I'm louder for the people in the back there is no shame to do some research so you recalibrate and have an accurate professional mm -hmm. response i think you're responsible to you know have a have your finger on the pulse of what what should be uh, developmentally ex expected yeah, yeah. um yeah. traditionally i i don't want to i don't want to exclude or include but i'm just saying if, if you've been only working with fives and now you're going to be with six month olds you need to read a book right you know something and yes. and recalibrate yourself yeah because it is not the same it's not <laughs> well and you know we are five-year-olds right know? <laughs> exactly and we do we do um uh, and now the we I'm speaking of is, is higher education, I guess, because that's, that's, you know, what I, what I do now. Um, we do people a disservice in teacher prep by not including infants more intentionally. Um, we sometimes, we'll talk about their physical development. We'll do some about attachment. Um, but we, I don't know, as a student, the infant classes that I took were electives. They weren't required. Oh. And I took them because I, that was my age group, but I only knew that was my age group because I've been in the field for a long time. Like I, I still haven't met anybody who went to get an early childhood degree and set because they wanted to work with infants and toddlers. What, oh, really? and, and I've, I've had one interview, I think, as a director, I, I can remember one interview where the person specifically wanted infants or toddlers. And most of the time, and, and the students that I have as, a, as an instructor now, they really want that three to five. They, <clears throat> they don't want to do the infant toddler practicum because they don't think that's going to be relevant to them. But the reality is when you go to work, if you do your own, if you do a home, a child care in your home, you you can choose more, more selectively, but if you're going to work in a childcare center, you're going to get assigned to the classroom that has the need. And, and, and you, and some of them are going to end up with babies or one-year-olds um, uh, without having been given that intentional sort of True. information and opportunity to, to talk about that age group. And so I, I do think that, um, they do have that sort of responsibility to seek it out themselves. Then if, if they didn't get it and they're now finding themselves with that age group, I think those, those folks, 
they'll they'll love it but they'll love the work better I think they'll love it more if they understand it more um and and they're doing things that are appropriate for the development and the needs of that of that age group and I think we have to acknowledge like our own personal narrative and history too um having been the oldest of five and the <laughs> oldest of 16 you know cousins uh -huh. and you know my mom did family child care honestly I I don't ever remember not having exposure to babies. So I remember uh -huh. actually as a young adult entering into the profession when people are like, I've never held a baby before. Yeah. I was like, ah, well, how does, how'd that happen? Yes. How, did, how did that happen? That you've never held a baby. Um, and, and I think that would come out, right. Uh -huh. Just that, that, uh, a potential nervousness. Yeah. Um, because if you have not yet had that experience of knowing that, you know, they're not going to break if you if you hold them right yeah. you, you are able to you know not that we're tossing them around but you know what i'm saying that they're mm -hmm. they're not fragile mm -hmm. the way that sometimes people stiffen up and we're worried right. that all of a sudden you know gravity is going to get overly crazy and and it's, it's, the babies are going to fly out of your hand <laughs> um, but but I, I i realized that i probably early in the career was probably a little in, insensitive or a little just like what what do you mean like what uh -huh. What, what do you mean you don't know this little piggy went to market like what do you mean you don't know how to make a bottle you know what do you mean yeah. you don't you've never changed a baby um and and you just forget that not everybody comes to the table with that skill set you know yeah. of, of I definitely up. forget that a lot yeah because because me too I I have just always been around younger children and babies um so it wasn't like that for me and uh you know I had a baby at 22, so I was you know, pretty young um, when I had that experience. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've definitely seen actual fear in people's faces at the yeah. prospect of being with an infant. And so then, as a as a program leader, um, how how hard are you going to push that? Are you going to put the person uh, with that much fear into the <laughs> infant room? Just because. right, and that's a that's a whole other Lisa Murphy pet peeve conversation. Is you know, I I really. I cringe at the thought that uh, that that somebody's just put where the need is mm -hmm. um, to stay in ratio as opposed to considering their experience or their skill set or their preference, you know, yeah. especially if somebody is at a point in their career where they're able to articulate like, hey, so this is what I know about myself. This is what I know about my style. This is the age group that I typically mesh with. Mm -hmm. You know, at that point, if you're able to articulate that, why in the world? would I put you somewhere where you've expressed that yeah. like, that's going to be a little challenging and stressful because there's a difference between challenging because it's a little out of your comfort zone. And then there's challenging because you know, that maybe you're not as understanding or you're not as tolerant, or, you know, you're a control freak and you should not be in a toddler room. Right. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that level of self-awareness that we say, we, we strive for people to bring it to the table and then we punish them for actually <laughs> having it, you know, for expressing it. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, yeah, there's definitely uh, some good reasons to not work with an infant if that's not not your thing. But um, if you find yourself in an infant room, I think you should be doing whatever you can. I, I would hope you would have some awareness that um, eventually, oh, this isn't like my preschool room or this. I can't do the same things in here that I did when I was working with five-year-olds. Um, so I've got to figure out what what I can and should be doing. And, and I think that's a reflection of the the lack of, I think, and, and I'm being very general right now, because I realize there's always places that where this is the, you know, the exception, mm -hmm. um, but, but 
we don't onboard people, I think, appropriately yeah. to working in early childhood. You know, somebody somebody left and didn't come back at lunch and I need somebody <laughs> in the infant room, right? Yeah. And, and, oh, look, you happen to be available for an interview and, oh, can you start tomorrow? And and you, you've not been able to have, you know, a two or three, four days of watching and seeing how the vibe is here, how it works here, that you're, you're intentionally becoming a part of an existing group and mm-hmm. not just being thrown in the deep end. And I realized that not everybody has that luxury, but boy, man, you know, once you get a taste of what the ideal is, it's hard to go back. For man. sure. It's yes. really, tr- really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is, this is two-year-olds, not infants, but just to talk about my own experience as an early, uh, teacher in a child care center. Um, I, I, I loved the twos that I had, like the first time I got to be a lead teacher, I'd been working in the center for about a year. And then I got to be a lead teacher with my own group. And it was just me and these two-year-olds, um, which was nuts. One person, <laughs> I think, what, I think there were six or seven. No, we, oh, no, okay. no, 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 not that many, but, um, but it was just me. And, um, I, I had fun with them, but what I, what I thought I was doing as the teacher was the putting things on the walls and right. writing out my lesson plan. And, um, uh, you know, the, that fit my personality. That was fun for me to do. But when I found the book that first introduced me to developmental domains, like I was doing this work without ever having heard the word cognitive development <laughs> or, um, and, and how that developmentally appropriate practice. Right. So, <laughs> so when I finally found that piece that, that talked me through d- domains and what that looks like for a two-year-old specifically, and the kinds of things that I could have in the space or do with the children, um, that fit their development and their needs and the priorities for that age, it changed everything. And I, I loved it so much more. Um, and it became more about this group of children and less about me as a teacher playing my teacher game (laughs) and, and doing the things that felt teachery for me. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine having made a different decision, like presented with that information, but yeah, okay, that's cool, but I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it my way. I'm going to keep doing these watered down four-year-old things um, that I see the four-year-old teachers doing, and I'm going to do it with these twos. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's interesting to me when people um, hear different information or or see something and and choose to just sort of completely reject it because it doesn't fit what they're already doing. And, and I think that if we're honest, it, that decision, whether it's um, subconscious or not, is from coming from a place of fear. Probably. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's all, uh, it's, I, I guess just a different kind of fight or flight <laughs> at that point. Um, the stressors are up and we have to make a decision and we, mm-hmm. our decision is to stay where we know it's comfortable and safe. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. You put a much uh, kinder twist on that than I did. <laughs> um, two, emotions. two emotions, fear and love. Yeah. Other than love is coming from, I mean, and I'm not taken away from your emotion chart. Those of you who have one, oh up my on gosh, the wall. but yeah. I, but I, anything other than love is if you t- take it down one more step is, is fear. Mm-hmm some kind of fear is manifesting the other emotion and that's a whole other workshop. So we, yeah. we don't need to, we don't need yeah. to get into 
that right now, but, but <laughs> typically that's what it is. Fear of the yeah. unknown, fear that I might fail. Sure. Yeah. You know, fear, fear that I'm going to upset a parent, fear that I'm going to get fired from my job, fear, fear. It's all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't, <laughs> this is terrible, but I am. Um... I was talking to one of the classes that I'm teaching, talking to the students. And um, we were talking about how the way we talk about things in class and what we've been learning in class wasn't fitting or matching what they were seeing when they Uh. went out and did their observations and things. And um, so they were worried about getting in trouble, you know, when they get out there and I was like, there's such a shortage right now. It's really hard. I mean, typically it's pretty hard to get fired in an early childhood program because of the, how hard it is to hire new people and find new people. But right now, especially, right? no you one's going to fire you for trying to play more. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or exactly. focusing on relationships instead of the, the calendar time. There might be a strategy there. <laughs> I mean, this, this might be a window of opportunity for, you know, everybody who, who's a little bit of a rebel rouser. And is right now time the, to rise up, time to rise up. <laughs> yeah. You oh man. And then I was like, please don't go tell anyone. I said, you could do what you want and not get fired. <laughs> to immediately start backpedaling but my first response was right, it's your really inbox hard. is like I'm, <laughs> all those placements <laughs> yeah. yeah um so anyway that's uh that's this week's story that i hope doesn't get me in trouble at work it's a it's a regular feature i was gonna say is this a regular feature now? <laughs> yeah hey, um all right yeah. so any anything else you wanted to to hit on when you thought about talking about the pictures that we started this conversation with. <laughs> well, I think maybe, maybe, maybe let's toss out a couple infant toddler resources that we know are consistently, oh. um, you sure. know, a place to go and look if you are in that, that situation mm-hmm. of like, I don't know where to go, or mm-hmm. I don't know where the resources are. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think at least for one of them, I think we're on the same page, but zero to three is going to have some really good resources for you. And the Harvard center on the developing child is going to have a lot for you, especially when it comes to the relationship component Mm -hmm. piece of it. Yeah. Um, Who else? Well, if if you want to, if you feel like you really need to, or you have a lesson plan form that you have to fill in math boxes or science boxes or whatever, even though you're working with infants, um, I don't want to say even though, but you are also working with infants. Um, I don't know what everybody's uh, sort of state early childhood standards are like. So I'm not going to say just refer to your own, but I can tell you that I really like Indiana's. And if you would just like Google um, Indiana Early Learning Foundations PDF, you'll get them. And so for like the math section, it's divided into um, younger infant, older infant, younger toddler, older toddler. And it tells you what kinds of things they need practice with for their math in different areas in columns. And it's really easy to then look at those columns and say, so what do I have here already that they could get that practice? Oh, um, that's helpful. Uh, uh, so you're not planning an activity. No, it's not a curriculum standard. It's yeah. let's look at the environment right. and find out how much of this organically is able yeah to happen. And then I might have to use that to plop it into a box, mm-hmm. um, regard, depending on, on where you, you might geographically yeah. be located. Oh, that's a great resource. Yeah. I, so I, I actually will check that out. Myself. Yeah. I do like it a lot. It's very much streamlined. I don't know. Cause I know you've done your comparison. Oh, you for licensing in each state or whatever. Um, 
the, the Indiana foundations used to be like 200 pages and it was lots of repetition and it's really streamlined now. Thank God. Um, but I do really like it. I use that actually a lot with, with students when we're talking about content areas specifically. Um, so combined with the relationship piece from the developing child website, um, and then maybe this is a good starting point for, um, uh, for not getting fired. For not getting fired, yeah, for the actual planning that you might be required but to But I do. also will add a Lisa Murphy comment to that, which yeah. is, you know, let's let's also step back and, and make sure that that filling in boxes and lesson plans is actually a, a mandated requirement and not just something that maybe you carried over with you from when yeah. you moved from pre-K into infant toddler um, or infant or toddler. Um, because I, I think there's room for, for pushing back in, mm -hmm. you know, we know developmentally what is crucial in an infant room. And for my providers to be taking time making lesson plans for infants, like, like let, let's actually have a conversation about that yeah. uh, first yeah. before we just assume it's something that we have to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I may be so bold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, ooey gooey tooey, this book, I know has some good oh. <laughs> kinds of things to do for with around infants and toddlers. Ooey, ooey, the ooey gooey handbook and ooey gooey tooey are done everything in there with 18 months and up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everything in there is 18 months and up. Um, yeah. specifically for people who are working with babies. Um, if I, uh, another plug, but the, the, oh, those little ones infant workshop yeah. handout, which is on yeah. the website. That's going to be like, if you're working with the wee ones, that's, that's, that's what I want you to get your, mm -hmm. to get your hands on. And, and, and always remembering that the goal of any infant room is for those babies to know that somebody's stupid, crazy in love with them. <laughs> yes. Bonding to them because that, that it, I can't stress that enough. And I'm on, and I'm on a big kick right now too, because um, the, the year one of the play therapy course is, is wrapping up and it's so focused on, you know, rapprochement and Mahler and attachment and the psychological birth of the infant. And, and I've, all that stuff isn't happening. And if the environment isn't set up to where that is able to happen, mm -hmm. you're going to be backfilling the entire time that child is with the program. Um, and so if, if anybody's actually curious about any, anything that I just said, just send me an email and you can take the class yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good ending point is that without that trust and that relationship and that recognition of the baby as fully human, <laughs> um, nothing, nothing else that we do is going to be that, um, much of a positive impact. In fact, it could be Definitely. more of a negative impact, but if we're focusing on because we know learning happens best in a relationship. Learning happens best when children can trust where they are and who they're with. Mm -hmm. And that starts with how we respond to them as babies and what kinds of things we expect from them as babies. And what they learn from us as babies mm -hmm. and not learning as in how many circles are on this caterpillar, but <laughs> what are they learning about being with other people? Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. All right, cool. Let's Thank go you. find some babies to play with. I want to go grab a baby. <laughs> Me too. Um, I wonder if I can get a teacher into an infant room for a practicum just so I can go hang out in a baby room. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm back traveling a lot now, so I see, I get my uh, babies in the, on the on the airplane. And, oh, uh, nice. Um, people are they're starting to warm up again. Like if yeah. you're like, come here, let me hold her while you put your bags up over in the overhead. Uh -huh. You know. Yeah. Where am I going to go? <laughs> I'm going to run to the back. 
baby. <laughs> so it's what? nice to see some of that trust coming back again good. as people are traveling again. Yay, that's great. All right. Well, thanks, Lisa. This was Thank a good you. one. Um, I feel like I was extra grumpy, but you were great. <laughs> You weren't texting from me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks everybody for listening okay. and uh, and goodbye. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.